This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? His name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital, Major Fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. You know, this show loves books. It loves smart people who write great books. We have one of those here with us this week. Chris Whipple is the author of The Fight of His Life, Inside Joe Biden's White House. He's also written two exceptional books, The Gatekeepers, the best book ever written about White House Chiefs of Staff. And it's not a large body of books, but I guarantee you it's the very best of its kind. It sets all sorts of standards in terms of understanding what a chief of staff does, how a White House operates. And then a book called The Spy Masters, which I'm a little bit less familiar with because that's not exactly my world, but a bestseller and very well respected. Chris, it's great to have you with us. Thanks. Great to be here, Major. So your book, The Fight of His Life, what was your point of view in approaching it? You know, I came in pretty neutral and and I hope clear-eyed about uh, Joe Biden's successes and failures. Uh, People have asked me, you know, why did you do this book? And my answer is, how could I not? I mean, Joe Biden and his team came into office facing the most daunting set of challenges since FDR's time, really. A a -a once-in-a-century pandemic, a crippled economy, global warming, racial injustice, the, the aftermath of a, of a bloody attempted insurrection, and all that before a Russian tyrant inv- invaded a democracy in the heart of Europe. So how could anybody with a political or storytelling bone in his body mm-hmm. not want to tell that story, uh, especially if you could get access to uh, Joe Biden's inner circle, which uh, ultimately I was able to do. Yes, if you read the book, and I've read every page of it, it, it feels as if you are hardwired into Ron Klain. You interviewed the president at least twice, by my recollection, maybe more than that, and many others who are in the inner circle, the CIA director, the secretary of state, basically anyone you needed access to, you got. Did that access teach you anything you didn't know? 
Absolutely. Um, you know, we we look at this White House from the outside and it looks like a pretty smooth running machine. And, and for the most part, I think it is. But uh, there's a lot more drama going on behind the scenes than you might expect. And of course, um, you know, one of, one of the things about this White House is I, I wrote, as you kindly pointed out, two other books, The Gatekeepers on White House Chiefs, The Spy Masters on CIA Directors. Those books covered something like 100 years of history. This book covers two. And yet this one was more difficult. This was the bigger challenge because this is the most battened down, at least in my opinion, um, the most battened down, disciplined, leak proof, on script White Houses in recent memory. And that made made it a challenge, but all the more rewarding for having uh, pulled it off, I hope. You start the book chronologically, and I've covered many presidencies, as you know, Chris, I have learned through hard experience, as every president has, the importance of a smooth transition. Describe what you learned about that process, Trump to Biden. It's an absolutely incredible story. And it, it oceans of ink had been written about the Trump's final days and this uh, unbelievably fraught transition from uh, Trump to Biden, which, of course, almost did not happen. Uh, so it was really startling to me that nobody had told this story before. And the story that I tell, among others, about the transition is how it all came down to one obscure White House staffer, a deputy White House chief of staff named Chris Liddell, a New Zealander who came to the U.S., uh, became CFO of, of Microsoft and General Motors before winding up in the Trump White House. He was, he was not crazy about Trump. I uh, thought that the office would change him. He was deluded, of course, about that. But in the final days during that transition, uh, Chris Liddell, under Trump's nose and without his knowledge, kept the wheels of the transition turning. Uh, and he's one of the unsung characters in this in this whole unbelievably fraught story of, of the Trump to Biden transition. As I read it, Chris, and I knew a fair amount about it, but I still learned things about the intricacies and how Chris Liddell had to cover his tracks and mask his efforts, and of course, his motives, but, but most specifically his efforts. And I thought this is ready-made for Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime as sort of this person you've never heard of orchestrating something deeply important to the future of the country and no one knowing about it and how hard that was. Yeah, really incredible. And as he was doing so, he was in touch with uh, a number of people on the outside. Uh, Josh Bolton, the former chief of staff to, uh, to George W. Bush, for example, who wanted to see a peaceful transition take place and kept talking Liddell off the ledge. Uh, Liddell would Don't quit. Qu- Don't quit. Don't quit. Exactly. Stay there, please. And, he, and, and Bolton and a few others kept telling him, look, You've got to land this plane. Nobody else can do it. We really need you there. And so Liddell stayed. And on, on January 6th, when he watched with astonishment the uh, the assault on the Capitol building, he, he nearly resigned, uh, wrote a letter of resignation, uh, and Bolton was uh, texting him frantically that whole evening, uh, telling him, no, you've got to stay. The next morning, Liddell decided not to submit his resignation 
And I think uh, we all owe him a debt of, <laughs> because he helped to see the transition through. Every president has a body man, body person. Strikes me, Chris, that Chris Liddell was body man for the nation in those closing two weeks. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's uh, it's really it's really a stunning uh, untold story. Let me ask you about chief of staff. You know, there's a joke in Washington that Ron Klain, wise chief of staff, was deputy president or co-president, that his role was so important, so outsized. Evaluate that joke. <laughs> well, you know, uh, every White House chief of staff uh, when he gets the job, picks up the phone and calls uh, James A. Baker III, who was the quintessential chief of staff under Ronald Reagan. And and Baker tells them all the same thing. Congratulations, you've got the worst blanking job in government. Um, it goes with the territory. Baker, this kind of criticism. I mean, Baker also famously said that uh, the White House chief walks around with a target on his front and on his back to which Rahm Emanuel added, and those aren't the only parts. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's 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 no surprise if if a White House chief is doing his job, he's often telling people the word no. Uh, you know, Ike's Ike's chief of staff, Sherman Adams, was known mm -hmm. as the abominable no man. Yep. Uh, there's a reason for that. So I think the kind of that kind of criticism goes with the territory. I but don't you think know, really but you know what also comes with that joke. It's that uh, Biden is old. He's at times diminished and he needs to lean on his chief of staff in ways other presidents didn't evaluate that. Yeah, I'm not so sure that, uh, you know, I think that if I spent two years talking to almost all of Joe Biden's inner circle and, and not only Ron Klain, but but Steve Reschetti, who became his legislative wrangler, um, Jen O'Malley Dillon, um, Mike Donilon, his wordsmith. Um, and I, I think that all of them will tell you that Joe Biden is in charge. Um, he doesn't he doesn't defer to a White House chief of staff. Uh, Klain was a, a very good one. Uh, but I think that at the end of the day, Joe Biden was making the decisions. Klain was teeing them up. As as every great White House chief does, he's the he was the honest broker uh, giving Biden choices. But I think Biden was making the decisions. Mm -hmm. And we've got about 30 seconds left, so we'll set this up on the other side. And I'm going to read from my audience from page 257, but I'll let you give them a bit of an idea what we're going to head to. The president angry with the media over inventing phony crises. Yeah. You know, I like to think that this is a, a, a book not just for political junkies, but for people who want to know, uh, you know, the human side of Joe Biden. And Biden, just like every other president, um, hates the press. <laughs> I hate to break it to you. I know you know this already. But I do. Every president hates the press in his own way. And right. I think that... Um, Joe Biden is no exception. We'll get to that on the other side of this break. I'm Major Garrett. Chris Whipple is our special guest. Back in a minute. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. 
but you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. The book, The Fight of His Life, Inside Joe Biden's White House, the author, Chris Whipple, from page 257. This is Ron Klain speaking to the author. I think there are times when he, meaning President Biden, feels that God dealt him a terrible hand, worse than FDR's. But I think he also appreciates that there's a big opportunity to beat these challenges and move forward. What frustrates him is the media is going into a frenzy about whether or not anyone will be able to buy a turkey for Thanksgiving or whether everyone's Christmas presents will show up. Everyone did get a turkey and all the Christmas presents did arrive on time. If there isn't a panic, it seems like the media invents the panic. (laughs) Well, Joe Biden is a lot like every other president in that he's he's thin skinned, uh, certainly when it comes to the press. But just in general, I think one of the things that few people realize about Joe Biden, it was once said of him that uh, he's the only Irishman who doesn't carry a grudge. That is not (laughs) in the book. Yeah, that is not true. I'm here to tell you. Yeah. Um, Joe Biden is still walking around with grudges against Averill Harriman, who was Franklin Roosevelt's ambassador (laughs) to the Soviet Union, who died, what, 40 years ago? Right. So Averill Harriman once had the temerity to summon Joe Biden, young Joe Biden, who was a senator, to his Georgetown townhouse and grill him about foreign policy. Well, this did not go over well with Joe Biden, who has not forgiven him to this day. And he will say to some of his advisors, he can't remember Harriman's name, but he says, that rich guy, that railroad guy, he's still he's still pissed (laughs) off. Right. So that's Joe Biden. And as I noticed in the book, uh, he's not a huge fan of the two prominent Davids from the Obama presidency, David Axelrod or David Pluff. Yeah. Joe Biden has been underestimated time after time after time in his political career. And he does not forgive people who he feels never took him seriously. And in the case of uh, some of Obama's advisors, uh, Joe Biden felt that he they didn't take him They didn't really think he was presidential timber, shall we say. And among them, excuse me, in Biden's opinion, uh, was David Axelrod and David Plouffe. Uh, So as one of my uh, one of uh, Joe Biden's very close friends told me, he hates the Davids. And do you think from that perspective, Chris Whipple, that President Biden feels that the first two years of his presidency have already outdistanced all eight of Obama's? Well, that's the kind of one of the fascinating things that I, I write about in the book. Uh, Barack Obama and Joe Biden uh, are obviously friends. Um, they famously had a kind of bromance. Mm-hmm. Uh, they be, they bonded when uh, Bo Biden was, was terminally ill uh, and Barack Obama took him under his wing. 
But at the same time, there's this fascinating kind of competitive edge. Mm. Uh, there's a little bit of friction there. And Barack Obama was not thrilled when Joe Biden's advisors early in his presidency started talking about how they were going to be transformational FDR-like and they weren't going to make the mistake of going for that little stimulus package that Obama had passed in 2009. That was small potatoes in their view. Well, this did not go over well with Barack Obama. So there's always that that tension. And I think that um, I, I don't think he was crazy about the comparison uh, between uh, Joe Biden and FDR. Right. So I want to ask you, in all of your conversations, and you were good enough in the first segment to talk about all the people at the upper echelons of the president's administration, people who have been with him in some cases for 30 years, how much on their mind was the sad, near dumpster fire tale of Hunter Biden? You know, I, I found it was not really on their minds at all. Now, look, is it, it possible? It, it, well, I think that um, it certainly has to be on their minds to some extent, although they don't like to talk about it for obvious reasons. And I think that it would be political malpractice uh, for some people in the White House not to be thinking about and uh, planning to uh, push back on any hunter narrative that g gains any traction. But in the first two years, as you well know, it, it, it wasn't it didn't gain any traction. Mm -hmm. uh, it hasn't been a factor. And so I never heard anybody talking about it. Mm -hmm. Do you have any unified or semi unified theory about that relationship? You know, I, it strikes me as, as someone who has not invested a lot of time or energy in in reporting that story. I'll be the first to admit uh, it just strikes me as someone observing it. Um, like everyone else, that it's a that Hunter Biden is a is a tragic story, uh, and he's had an extraordinarily difficult life. Uh, it's obvious. Made some bad choices too. You made some bad choices. It's also pretty obvious that Joe Biden is uh, deeply loves him, and they have a very close relationship. And I can tell you that uh, that Joe Biden talks to him all the time. Um, I remember asking Ron Klain at one point if Joe Biden felt the loneliness of the presidency. And Klain said, you know, that's not a word I would ever use with Joe Biden because he's on the phone constantly with his with his relatives and his grandchildren and with Hunter. Mm -hmm. Got it. Uh, what do you think in the end Chris Whipple drives President Biden? Well, I think he's driven by a, a number of things. Like every other president, he's a, he has the ego and the ambition um, that it takes to drive anybody to to those heights. But I think Biden is, I think he means it when he says that Charlottesville was the trigger that uh, inspired his race for the presidency. Um, he certainly wanted to be president his whole life, but yep. but that really was the trigger and I think we can talk more about this, but I, I do think that Charlottesville was the animating force that really drove him to run for president. And I think on February 24, 2022, when Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine, he, he Joe Biden, saw the same dark authoritarian forces on the march in Europe and a threat to not just to Ukraine, 
and Europe, but to Western democracy. And I think that is the fight of Joe Biden's life and hence the title of my book. In that light, how would you evaluate President Biden's most recent State of the Union address and his surprise visit to Kiev and his speech very recently in Poland? Well, um, just to put this all in context, I, I see my book and Joe Biden's presidency as a kind of political thriller in three acts. The first act is that unbelievably fraught transition we talked about. The second act was the first year of his presidency that was dominated by the debacle of the withdrawal from Afghanistan and the steady decline in his approval rating. And the third act, I really think the turning point of Joe Biden's presidency was February 24, 2022. Joe Biden rose to meet that moment in a way that I don't think anyone else could have. He was perfectly prepared for that moment in history. And I think that uh, the State of the Union speech was really strong. Um, it, not a, certainly on, on Ukraine, uh, but also in the way that, uh, of course, the, you know, the, the, the Republic and the GOP radical fringe played right into his hands. Uh, and I think that the, uh, the trip to Kiev will really be in effect. It's that's the that's the beginning of Act Four. Um, <clears throat> this is a political thriller with no ending yet, but the stakes couldn't be higher. And presidents at some times feel that history has moved right to them and they are intersecting or connecting with history based on everything that they've gone through. If I hear you correctly, that's what President Biden is feeling about Ukraine. I think he does. I, I think he feels that. <clears throat> I mean, I think there are really three defining tests of this presidency, at least. The first was, of course, uh, trying to rescue the country from from COVID, from the pandemic, which was a once in a century uh, catastrophe. <laughs> Excuse me. The second, I think, was um, was certainly um, trying to meeting the challenge of Trumpism and MAGA, the threat to democracy domestically. But the and third, Chris, before you before you get to third, I want to have a little grabber from my audience here with me to go to break. Third in the list of Chris Whipple's three most important things in a minute. When we come back, I'm Major Garrett. Stay with us. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. Chris Whipple is our guest. The Fight of His Life, that's the name of the book, the subtitle Inside Joe Biden's White House. Chris, I had to interrupt you for a break. You were on a list of three. We had two. What's the third? 
So the third and, and really the most uh, important uh, defining test of the Biden presidency uh, was Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine and uh, and Biden's response to it. And I think that, um, that, that his latest trip to Kiev and, and his uh, speech in Warsaw just underlines that fact. I mean, this is truly the fight of Joe Biden's life. And I think that and of course, it's it's a it's a fight for Western democracy as well. Um, you know, I, I really do think that this is the the test that Joe Biden has prepared for, trained for all his life um, as as in the as a member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and, and spending decades taking the measure of Vladimir Putin. I think he was clear eyed about Putin in a way that none of his predecessors were. Um, so he's he's, I think, the man for this moment. Based on your conversations, do you have a sense of how the administration believes this war on Ukraine, a sovereign country that violates all the norms of international law, can and will end? Well, that's something I think that uh, that keeps Joe Biden up at night. I, I think no one knows. Um, CIA Director Bill Burns spoke to me at some length about this. I went and saw him in his uh, office on the seventh floor at, at CIA headquarters in Langley. And he pointed out that this really is existential for Vladimir Putin. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Joe, Joe Biden feels that if it's existential for Biden to conquer Ukraine, that defeating him and turning him back is existential for NATO and the West and um, for democracy. He often talks about this contest between democracy and autocracy, but this is this is the real manifestation of it unfolding before our eyes. Mm-hmm. Because uh, Russia either has to sue for peace or Ukraine has to eject them from some part of Ukraine that it currently occupies, either all of it, meaning going back to 2014, or that which began a year ago, roughly. And that is a, 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 the question. No one knows the answer. But the next year, to me, Chris, looks very tough. It does look very tough. And, and you know, in my conversation with uh, Bill Burns in his office at CIA headquarters, uh, at one point he, he posed the question aloud. He said, you know, now that, uh, now that Putin is, has retreated and holds only the, these provinces in the east, would he, you know, will he sue for peace? And I said... Is that really an option for him? Could he really find a modus vivendi with Volodymyr Zelensky? And Burns answered in the negative. He said, no, I don't think so. He would have to go back. He would only, it would be a pause before he went back for the rest of Ukraine. So I don't think anybody knows exactly how it ends or what the boundaries will be, but there really is not much of an alternative to pushing him out. And we'll get on to COVID and some other things in a moment, Chris, but I do want to say one more thing or ask you one more thing about Ukraine in the present, because this, I'm sure the president does not want to become, and his Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, made it clear the last week or so to the Chinese, this should not, cannot become a three superpower conflict, China, Russia, the United States. But if China does get involved, lethal weapons then it is. And suddenly this one place becomes a gathering point of hostility for three superpowers. 
that ratchets up from my vantage point all the risk factors. It absolutely does, and and I think it uh, it makes it uh, all the more important and that this team. I, I have to say, I mean, I think that I, I did a lot of reporting, obviously, on Afghanistan and Ukraine. And um, certainly uh, Afghanistan was 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 not their finest hour. But I think that you couldn't want a, a better team of foreign policy and national security experts than the team that Biden has assembled around him from Tony Blinken to Bill Burns to Jake Sullivan in a situation like this, because, as you point out, it's it's a really uh, delicate balancing act, and the stakes couldn't be higher. Why was Afghanistan a debacle? You know, I called it a a hold of government failure, um, and I think um, I was pretty unsparing in that in those chapters of the book. Um, having said that, in fairness to Biden and his team, I think that when Donald Trump after his half-baked negotiation with the Taliban, set a deadline for the U.S. withdrawal of, of May 1st, 2021, that the writing was on the wall for the Afghan government and the armed forces that the U.S. was going to hit the road, and ultimately they hit the road first. Uh, having said that, um, just about everything went wrong in the Afghan withdrawal and it began with, uh, you know, Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, told me that everything they did was based on a flawed intelligence assessment that the Afghan government would last for 18 months. Well, this was news when I went and talked to CIA Director Bill Burns. This was news to him. Right. And he told me that, no, 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 we were clear eyed. We said that if you pulled out two legs of the stool, namely the U.S. military and the American contractors, that that was a recipe for everything crumbling quickly. Uh, and Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, gave me yet another version in which he said the intelligence said they that the Afghan government would last until Thanksgiving. At the end of the day, I think it's obvious that the Biden team thought they had more time to get the Americans out and, and our allies, and they didn't. Right. And look, you and I have been through a lot of these stories on the aftermath of something that went as poorly as the evacuation was executed. There's always recriminations in CYA. And it struck me that in these reappraisals, there was a little bit of both going on. But the fact of the matter is, it's the president of the United States' decision to circle a date on the calendar, which Biden did. It was his rhetoric, not anyone else's, assuring people that it wouldn't look like Saigon, that it wouldn't be a catastrophe. And I'm glad you pointed out in the book, Other some things of that evacuation did go well. There are lots of metrics about things that did succeed. But in the main, it was more chaotic and more deadly than the president prepared the nation for. It seems to me that falls on his shoulders. Well, and again, I, I write about this from the inside as, as it was happening. And I, and I interviewed the president about this. Um, he gave me written answers to written questions. Um, and... But they were, I think, remarkably revealing. And that day I asked him what the worst day of his presidency was. And it was indeed the day that 13 service members were killed in that suicide bombing in Kabul. And Biden described to me just how wrenching that day was for him. And of course, shortly thereafter, he met and tried to console the families of the fallen. 
And there were a couple of families that were having none of it. Yep. Uh, they were inconsolable. They they were offended that Joe Biden brought up Hunter, which, of course, is what he always does. When, I'm sorry, when he brought up Bo, forgive me, uh, which, of course, he always does when he's consoling families who have lost loved ones. And this the, the idea that this somehow made it worse uh, was was really difficult for him. Um, as Jen Psaki put it to me, uh, you know, for for weeks thereafter, the president had this kind of, as she put it, misunderstood sadness. He was he was he was really he found that personally wrenching. A technical question. Did you interview the president personally or did most of the answers come via written responses? You know, it's interesting because um, I, I asked for an in-person interview and ultimately what I got were written answers to written questions. I'm not sure any president, I'm not aware of any president who's ever done that before for a book. Uh, there must have been one, but um, it was an unusual arrangement. I would have preferred to be in the room, but as I say, I thought I got some very revealing answers nonetheless. No question. And you're in the room with everybody else. And ladies and gentlemen, if you detect just a whiff of envy in my voice, you're correct. Chris Whipple is our guest. The book, The Fight of His Life Inside Joe Biden's White House. Back for segment four in a second. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. Chris Whipple is the author of the book, The Fight of His Life Inside Joe Biden's White House. So let's talk about COVID. Uh, it's yeah. kind of a wispy part of our memory now, collectively, but it was bad the first year of the Biden presidency. Jeff Zients was, to a certain degree, operationally put in charge of that. He's now the chief of staff. Describe both his role from your vantage point then and what do you think that will mean for him as chief of staff now? Well, think about it. Jeff Zients was put in charge of <clears throat> the of trying to wrestle to the ground the uh, the most lethal pandemic in a century. And I talked to him about it as he was taking on that responsibility. And he and he told me about how he would be sitting in his office with the television on, but on mute. And he would just watch the numbers. Um, and, and he was really sobered by the prospect of having of being put in charge of that. Um, but Zeitz is, is an operational genius, a managerial genius. He's the, he's, the, he's the go-to guy and was the go-to guy, for example, when the when Barack Obama's healthcare website. Oh yes, I remember it, covered it every day. Imploded. 
Yep. Uh, nobody had a, the foggiest idea of how to fix it. So who are you going to call? Jeff Zients. Right. Well, that's how Zients was put in charge of the COVID pandemic. He got 220 million Americans vaccinated in 100 days. Uh, he clearly formed a very good relationship with Joe Biden. Um, as chief of staff, he's got very large shoes to fill. Uh, mm -hmm. Ron Klain belongs in the elite company of Jim Baker under Reagan, Leon Panetta under Bill Clinton. He had this rare combination of 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 skills, knowledge, White House experience, knowledge of Capitol Hill, political savvy, a world class temperament, and most important, a a, you know, a decades old relationship with the boss. Now, Zients is very talented, and I think he has many of those uh, attributes as well, but he doesn't have Klein's political savvy right. or that three decade old relationship with the boss. So it, it's going to be. The chief of staff position is more than operational. <clears throat> yeah, it requires that unbelievably rare set of skills. And what that relationship with the boss enables a chief of staff to do is to tell him what he doesn't want to hear, which is right. the most important job for any chief of staff. And Klain was able to do it because of that long relationship. Right. Um, I want to ask you about Vice President Kamala Harris, because there are a couple of sections of the book where I get the feeling, Chris, the narrative is on the rails and it's moving forward, and then you slam on the air brakes and say, stop, everybody. Pay attention to what the vice president did in this instance and how it was undervaluated at the time and should be rethought of now. It's a fascinating, complicated relationship between Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And in the beginning, there's no question about it. They really bonded. Um, Joe Biden really But liked it feels to me like you're trying to take on the conventional wisdom. Yeah, I mean, I, they were really, uh, they had great chemistry. Uh, Biden valued her input in, and wanted her in almost every meeting, not just the president's daily brief, but but other meetings as well. They'd been thrown together in part by COVID uh, and um, had a strong relationship. I, things got dicier as time went on, and she came under fire uh, for the Northern Triangle assignment, among others. And she had that awkward trip to Guatemala where she, fumbled the question from Lester mm -hmm. Holt. Yep. Um, she, her allies began to complain publicly, some of them, that uh, she'd been given an impossible portfolio, that in effect, Joe Biden was setting her up for failure with the Northern Triangle, voting rights. And then word got back to Joe Biden that the second gentleman, Doug Emhoff, was complaining about her portfolio. And this just annoyed Biden. And he and he confided to a friend who asked him how she doing. He replied, a work in progress. Now, having said that, he has given her really important national security responsibilities. And, and I write about them in the book, including a, an untold story about how she met with Volodymyr Zelensky on the eve of the invasion uh, at the Munich Security Conference. Mm -hmm. She told him <clears throat> not only are the Russians coming for Ukraine, they're coming for you and your family. Zelensky was still skeptical. And as he left, the vice president turned to one of her aides and said, I wonder if that's the last time we see him alive. Um, and I think she's 
you know, just recently, again, we saw her at the Munich Security Conference a year later, uh, giving a very important speech. So it's it's a it's a mixed bag um, with Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. Any doubt in your mind, Chris Whipple, that the president will seek reelection? You know, I was just reading a political Politico story before we yeah, had this conversation. I read it too. Suggesting that, wait a minute, you know, maybe he hasn't decided to go. I would be astonished if he does not run for re-election. I think the only person who could talk him out of it is his most influential advisor, Dr. Jill Biden. I think she's on board. And I can tell you that it, having talked to almost all of his inner circle, that they seem convinced that he's running. Think about it. Um, when was the last time a president walked away from the Oval Office voluntarily? It was Lyndon Johnson in right. 1968. Um, I don't see a Gene McCarthy uh, challenging Joe Biden in the primaries as, as the anti-war candidate, anti-Vietnam War candidate famously challenged LBJ. Um, and I, I think that Joe Biden feels, as he put it in his State of the Union, he wants to finish the job. Mm -hmm. And for those who watch the president and say there are times he looks out of it to them and they wonder about six more years, what would you say based on all the conversations you had and what you've learned and you put putting this book together? Well, I would say um, look at this train trip to Kiev that the, the president just uh, just undertook 10 hours uh, back and forth uh, meeting with. Zelensky, um, and then delivering that address in, in Warsaw. Pretty impressive, I think, for um, a president of almost any age. And it reminded me of a story that Bruce Reed, his deputy chief of staff, told me about a trip to Europe when they had just done four summits back to back to back to back, climbed on Air Force One, dead tired, uh, completely wiped out trying to get some sleep on the six-hour red-eye flight back to uh, Dover Air Base. Everybody was dead except Joe Biden. Biden walked into the senior cabin and for six hours straight told the staff stories, um, some of which I'm sure they'd heard before. They were propping their eyelids open, but the boss just wanted to talk. So he's there's no shortage of energy as from, from what everybody tells me. And when the president wants to talk... You listen. Exactly. Chris Whipple, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for your time. The book again, The Fight of His Life Inside Joe Biden's White House. Also, check out Chris Whipple's book, The Gatekeepers and the Spy Masters. I'm Major Garrett. Stay tuned for the takeout outtake. Especial. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Bite, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. 
fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. Chris Whipple, author of The Fight of His Life Inside Joe Biden's White House, is our special guest. Chris, this is our fun and games segment. We'll get to the fun and games in just one second. But there's one thing in your book that uh, I want to ask you about. The uneasy relationship between the president, Joe Biden, and his Secret Service detail. Yeah, this was really startling to me, Major, when I when I learned it, because Think about the context here. For four years, Donald Trump tried everything in his power to politicize the Secret Service, appointed, uh, promoted his his most loyal agent to become Deputy White House Chief of Staff for Operations, a boldly political move. And then think about this. Mike Pence in the basement uh, in the loading dock of the Capitol building on January 6th, refusing to get into the car with his Secret Service detail because God knows where they might have taken him. Uh, in that context, the idea that Joe Biden felt he couldn't trust his Secret Service detail um, and that he couldn't really speak freely around them was really startling to me. And um, But it's true. And, um, you know, I, I noticed that the, the White House issued a sort of gentle non-denial denial um, when the book came out. But I'm here to tell you that that is the case. And it's troubling to me because shouldn't we expect Secret Service agents to check their politics at the door? Uh, evidently, there were some MAGA sympathizers uh, in his detail. It's in the book. I invite you to read it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so the Funny Games part of the program. We have three questions we ask all of our guests, or nearly all of our guests. I think we're like 99%. So here are the three questions, Chris. Most influential book in your life and why? Uh, Favorite movie? And if you're on a long flight or a long drive and you're really going to enjoy some music, what kind of music, artist, or genre are you most likely to listen to? All right. Well, I I would say um, Our Man uh, about Richard Holbrook. Uh, mm. was was uh, one of the most influential books um, for me. I My first job right out of college was working for Dick Holbrook at Foreign Policy Magazine. Um, as far as uh, movies... And, I, what I mean, would, and how would you put uh, Dick Holbrook in uh, the history of uh, modern American diplomacy? Right right at the top. And I'd, I'd put him in the company of Bill Burns and uh, James A. Baker III, Um you know, in that in that stratosphere, if only for the the Dayton Accords, he, mm-hmm. he was a he was a complicated, uh, difficult character, as you well know. But no uh, doubt. But anyway, I I would put him right up there. Tremendous tenacity. Yes, <clears throat> I'd, I'd have to go with with movies. Look, I'm old school. I just have to go with Casablanca. Uh, a frequent reference on the show. Hard to hard to uh, top that. And as far as um, Music, any kind of jazz um, keeps me happy when I'm on the road. So when you say any kind, I'm going to probe that a little bit because I'm a minor league jazz aficionado. Uh, Do you have one era or time you prefer over another? I would say 
again, being old school, I would say 40s. You're, you're, you're getting warmer. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm in the I'm in the I'm, I'm in the late 40s, 50s, early 60s. So I would go Coltrane, Ornette, Coleman. Uh, then you get later in that you get Brubeck, you get um, Stan Getz. Um, those would be my my jams. <clears throat> Miles Davis. Miles Davis for sure, of course. I'm sorry, forgive me. How that's that's like like the the greatest faux pas of my jazz <laughs> discussions ever. Yes, Miles, of course. Yes, absolutely. Okay, um, and what's your next project? Well, you know, as 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 they as they like to there's say, there's always over, another one, right? As they as they like to say over at Langley, um, I, I could tell you, but I <laughs> have to tell you, <laughs> you'll be the first to know. <laughs> looking at a few options like the books again uh all bestsellers the most current the fight of his life inside joe biden's white house also the gatekeepers seriously folks if you are uh an aspiring student of the american presidency you have to read that book then the spy masters about heads of the cia chris whipple's been our special guest chris thanks for the time and the expertise i appreciate it very much Major, my pleasure. Great conversation. Thank you so much. That's it, folks. We'll see you next week. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like the takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.